Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. What would happen if we all got a vision for what God is doing overseas and what He can do in and through our lives? We'll talk about that and more. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 196 with Brian Buckaloo. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for joining us today. We want to see the body of Christ fully connected and engaged in what God is doing. This week, we're kicking off our series on short-term missions, and we're going to be talking about what happens when we see what God can do, how to find quality partnerships and short-term missions, and how God uses a variety of people to to work together and to use their various giftings together, sometimes people who are very, very different. I think you're going to really enjoy this one. I do want to also mention that a couple of weeks ago, we had a great Twitter chat on June 1st. If you joined us for that, you know that it was wonderful. If not, you might want to look forward to the ones coming in the future. And I also wanted to mention that we are in the middle of a fundraiser for Global Initiative. We're believing and praying that God would provide $4,000 to help support them as they equip the global body of Christ to reach Muslims for the gospel. One more quick note before we start heading toward our time with Brian. He mentioned in the interview that you can contact him. And he, when I talked to him, he said that we could do that by texting him, but I don't want to put his phone number in the show notes, so I'm going to give that to you here. His phone number is 615-568-6928. So if you want to connect with him and get some information from him, that's the best way to do that. And we're going to take a quick pause to hear from Scott from FX Missions, and then we're going to go straight into our time with Brian. Hey, Scott McClellan with FX Missions. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Missions Show. We also wanted to let you know about our Leadership Moment podcast. It's a weekly 10-minute podcast where we focus on leadership ideas, concept, and inspiration and offer interviews often with those who are stepping out and taking action. Leadership Moment. Check us out at fxmissions.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot. All right. Today, I am just incredibly excited. I can't tell you how excited I am. I have with me Brian Buckaloo, who you've probably not heard about, but he's one of my neighbors. And we're going to talk about the value of short-term missions and the perspective of a person who's been primarily involved in the marketplace, but has also been involved in short-term missions and really loves what God's been doing. So Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited as well. I'm going to love to have a chance to talk about these things. I like think it's so important for the kingdom. Yeah. You know, I want to mention before we kind of get into this, when we were chatting about this a few days ago, I was just so encouraged by your heart and by what you've seen God do in missions in particular, as you've been involved in short-term missions. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to kind of dig into that. And I'm wondering, as we start this off, what are one or two things that you've seen that are really valuable that people have taken away from short-term missions? Oh, the first thing is just that anybody can be involved. And, and that's just a, right off the bat, anybody can be involved. And that comes probably to the top of my list. It doesn't matter what kind of personality you have. It doesn't matter if you're introvert, extrovert. It doesn't matter what your experience is. And, you know, the crazy and, and awesome thing about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit, the same power within you. There's one God, one Spirit. And whether I've been a Christian for three weeks or I've been a Christian for 35 years as some theologian, the Holy Spirit's going to work the same and use me at my level to be able to affect his kingdom, to be able to share his word, to be able to ha let people have an introduction to him or experience with him just yeah. by getting in there and, and being what they need to be. And then God will use that. And that, that I think is the most important thing. The other thing too, is the church. I think that the church, if the church would be more open to seeing what people are doing in short-term missions and realize yeah. that 
that excites them. If that excites them, that's going to excite the other people that are sitting in their pews, the other people that are sitting down there and watching the experience of what Holy Spirit is doing in their lives or doing on the mission project. And I think it just emboldens the church and excites them to be able to want to get out there. So I think those are probably the two key things that I think are the most important takeaways. Yeah. And so let's just kind of take that out of theory because those are really important, but you've also got some personal experience with this. And I'm wondering, you know, as you think about the trips that you've been on and your involvement in missions, how has that encouraged and emboldened you? Oh, the first thing is that the very first time I actually went on a, on a missions trip as an adult, or even as a kid, I have to, have to say that even as a young, younger person, but as an adult, that to watch God move and to watch the ways that he moves through his people, even his commoners, you know, the, <laughs> those of us sitting in the pews, so to speak, those who are supposedly in the marketplace and aren't necessarily pastors by the contemporary sense, but maybe pastors in the biblical sense. But we're in the marketplace, and so we may not have the opportunity to go as many times as as the guy who's been in Ghana for thirty years, or you know Bolivia for you know fifteen years, or whatnot. Just going on a, on a even seven to ten day, or fourteen day, or two week, or three week trip is so important. And watching the Lord work not only through me but through those around me, just again, it kind of what I say rewired my brain. And I say that that's one of the reasons I think it's important for the for the church lay people, if the, using the contemporary mm-hmm. term, the church lay people to be able to get out into missions because it sort of rewires your brain. Your brain just goes, oh, this is how God works. Well, if he works that way here, he can work that way at home. If he can work that way in my family, he can work that way in this setting at work, whatever. And, and it lets them realize how God has desired to work through them to accomplish his purpose here on earth. So, so let's kind of dig into that because you've mentioned several times now seeing the ways that God works and how that's kind of transformed your thinking. As you think about some of those trips, what are some of the ways that God has revealed himself and showed you how he works that you maybe didn't know before you got there? That's really a funny question because as, as I get to speak, it, it, most of us have, have, and it really doesn't matter what denomination you're, you're used to. I don't care if you're interdenominational even there. We don't see a lot of these things that God does in other places here back at home. And if I get to talking about it, sometimes people are thinking, you know, oh, that's kind of crazy that, you know, God doesn't do that. Boy, that guy's a holy ruler. <laughs> but you're, you're actually seeing, and that's why I get so excited. You're actually seeing, and the young people we take on these trips are actually seeing the adults that we're, we, we take on the trips are actually seeing what God can actually do. And we don't really allow that movement because we don't really talk about it or even mm. believe in it. Sometimes what God can do that we see him do on a mission trip. And so as I get to talking about it, It's one of those things that makes people feel uncomfortable, but it's also one of the reasons why I insist that people go because their brains will, will get rewired. I've seen, I've seen healings, you know, and and people Mm -hmm. say, and it depends what denomination you're from. And I'll just go ahead and, and lay this out there. I was grown up Southern Baptist. I consider myself a Southern Baptist. The trip that we saw the most healings on was a Lifeway Baptist trip. And so as a pastor may naysay some of the things where healing may not be present. Now I was on this trip with, pastors. I was on this trip with, with, with lifeway people and to see God heal people is just absolutely amazing and makes you realize, Oh, that's still relevant to God. That's still relevant to me. So that's relevant to my world back home. And another thing too, is just watching the way God indwells people to speak and things that they may go outside of their. So I don't want to say comfort zone, but maybe their experience level and to watch him speak through them or meet with this person on this level yeah. or accomplish something that they've never done, never been trained to do, but because the power of the Holy Spirit's working in them, which is the way we're supposed to live, mm-hmm. they, you see some amazing, incredible things, and they get a chance to see God working. So there's a lot of things. I can't even boil it down. My, my brain just goes into overload when you say, what have I seen God yeah. do? And I think that's also important, if I can, to say that that's why I think it's so important for people to be able to come back and be able to talk about what they have seen on the mission field. You know, God does amazing things when we get together and become an agreement. Mm-hmm. When, when the body of Christ is in agreement, we're working together, we're expecting work, we're literally calling forth God to work in, in a certain situation. Well, that's, that's what a short-term mission, what a mission trip is anyhow, yeah. but a short-term mission, particularly you get people who are maybe outside of their experience or comfort zone and they go someplace and they're all kind of there together and they're all praying, God, what are you going to do today? And they're expecting, hoping, you know, praying for God to do something with them today. And they come home and there's amazing things. And all we get a chance to do is kind of tell you a little bit about how our field trip went, yeah. you know, or whatnot. And I think it's a, a travesty for these folks who may not even be a great speaker. As a matter of fact, I would say maybe you should call the people who aren't necessarily your, your best, most refined speakers up into the pulpit and say, give me five minutes of what you saw God do. I remember being at a church 
the church I was at for about 15 years, and it was a pretty active missions trip and and uh, missions church. And there were quite a few trips that had gone in the in the recent maybe year or so. And we were dying to be able to tell the church from the pulpit, from the stage, if you will, what we had done. And finally, the the pastor relented and he gave us mm. five minutes conglomerately on Wednesday night. You know, and it, it, we missed the opportunity to be able to talk about what do you see God do through you? What is God still doing actively? And it it, it basically removes the opportunity for the church to be encouraged, mm. excited by being able to talk about what those thousands of specifics that I can't even come up with right yeah. now because I'm an overload because there's too many to even <laughs> pull out one that you don't get a chance to see God working in, in that way or hear somebody who's never experienced that get excited about having been used by God. So yeah, I think it's, there's so many things that God's done and the things that I think, like I said, would just be, would blow some people away, but it excites me to be able to tell someone you've got to go because you're going to see God move and act in, in not mysterious ways, overt, obvious, awesome ways that he's working through you or through your team or through your group. Yeah. You know, I'm so excited to hear what you've been sharing. And I think that we're going to get back to some of those specifics in a minute, but something that you shared really kind of kicked off in my mind, the idea of unity, because you've talked about people from different backgrounds, God sort of smashing through barriers or, you know, breaking things down. And I'm wondering, do you find that short-term missions is a great opportunity for people to come to a place of unity and love and the faith, even if they have different theological backgrounds. Yes, I do think that theological backgrounds do have some play in the way people think. Obviously, it has some play in, in their experience level, what they may be comfortable with. But a short-term mission project, it's really hard to make it a sectarian thing. Yeah. When the Holy Spirit's moving, he doesn't move as a Baptist or as a Presbyterian. <laughs> you know, he's, no. I, I wouldn't even say he's methopresbymatic Baptopalian. I mean, he's just kind of everything out there because we are supposed to be pulling ourselves into what he is, not he dictating what we're going to be in the terms of, of a sectarian movement. So yeah, the, the background has a lot of play in the way people think, but the mission trip kind of melds those things together. And you kind of just have to walk with the Holy Spirit's taking you. And, and you get a chance to refine some of the things that you may think or refine some of the ways that you've been maybe taught or indoctrinated, I might yeah. even say, you know, in some ways, because you're seeing the Holy Spirit move through you and move as a body. And it's not just unity in spirit, it's unity in movement. If I can, I'll use yeah. an example of, of some of the things that I think are important in terms of what, what, you, what is important to create a short-term mission project. I think the first thing is go. I mean, if, if, you, if you can't go, you sin, because I'm telling you, there's amazing things that can happen. Oh, yeah. So the first thing is we got to have people going on these trips or they're not going to happen. And the second thing I think that's really important is having a trip that's been well-organized. And this is why I'm talking about it in terms of unity. I'm one of those people. I'll, I'll just kind of give a shout out to Rick and Judy Barnett. They're amazing people from the church that well, we used to go to church together. And they have organized many, many, many trips, several of them to Central America, Haiti, different places. And I've been on quite a few of those trips. And <laughs> we, we joke about, she probably doesn't even know it, but we joke about she probably had a, a checklist, a time stamp list <laughs> for her children in their crib because she's so organized. And this is yeah. the way we're going to do this and this and this. And just give, give an example, if, if the plane's leaving to go to where we're going, Central America, at 6.01 a.m., then we're going to be there. We have to be there two hours early. So our, our paperwork doesn't say like 4 a.m. It says 4.01 a.m. because the plane's leaving at 6.01 a.m. So you need to be there. And I think she's using that to, make, to, to get across the point we need to be there. Whereas I'm the kind of guy who straddles in at about 5.30 or so, and uh, because that's the way the Holy Spirit uses me, and I'm, I'm that not organized guy. I'm the, and I wouldn't say I'm disorganized, don't, don't get me wrong, but I don't have to have this organization. You could throw me into any situation, and I'm going to make it happen. I'm 100% extrovert. It's one of those things. And I'd probably drive her crazy, but I try not to drive her crazy because she's my organization, right. and God uses the unity, and I, and I hope she feels the same way about, about us, but you know, working together, but I use her. She is an incredible organizer and she puts things together and she's planned and she's prayed over. It's not, it's not a loosely fit trip. Now it's not structured to where it's tied down, bolted and lag screwed in. Right. It's just got a structure to it where we can work with that. And the Holy spirit may, you know, bend you a little bit and flex you. And I always say that the 11th, the 11th beatitude is blessed with the flexible in spirit for they will not be bent out of shape, you know, <laughs> and, and you have to be that way on, on a, on a mission field. But she has asked me to go on trips and has used me as the, the, the completely unbolted down, you know, you can put me, throw me anywhere. I'm not going to, you know, be organized. I've, I, I not necessarily play by, don't play by the rules, but I don't necessarily have rules that, I, that, that structure what I'm going to do. Whereas she's exactly the opposite. And I think she's used me and I've absolutely used her. I mean, I try to honor her. So I will show up, even though I'm not that guy, I will show up at 401 
because being unified in a physical sense is, is as important as being unified in a spiritual sense. And those kind of things blend together. So I think that's important in, in uh, for a short-term mission tri- uh, project is to have someone who's organized, that it's a well-planned trip, that it's not just thrown together, that it's not just, well, we'll go down there and kind of see what happens as being the other end of the, the ballgame. We don't want that. So we want someone who's organized. We want someone who's got these things planned out. I only go on mission trips with basically about three groups. One is a, a large international commissioning group. And they have a very, very organized group, and they have a very sincere way that they pr- they put these trips together. And I think that's important. And so I go on those trips. I'm the guy that they can throw. Now, I've been on these trips where in, in some of these places are places you can't necessarily mention. We've go, gone covertly across the border even. And we've. I'll just give you an example. One of these trips we had where we were all going across, and we several of the leaders had a different sheet of paper that all had sort of a code on it. And you had to kind of bring the sheets together to understand what the code was. And it was our assignments and how we're going to go and okay. so forth. So they went across the border separately. And then we brought our sheets together. And, and I was looking over the sheet and we're, we're traveling somewhere and I'm looking over the sheet and I'm saying, you know, Hey, I don't, I don't see my name on here. Oh yeah. I forgot to tell you, you're not really on this sheet because we've got you thrown into a village by yourself way over like 90 <laughs> miles where everyone else was, you know? And so, and, and they, they do that a lot. I've been, you know, up into the, to the uh, monasteries of, of India, you know, to the Buddhist monasteries to, to preach just to those monasteries. And it's not something you can plan or, you know, so they throw me into that. And yet I use them because they're so well organized. They, they know what they're doing. They put everything together. And I, I need that. And short-term mission projects, I think it's extremely important to have mission projects that are organized, that are detailed, and that have a place where you're going to go and what you're going to do. And then you can kind of bend out from there. Third thing I would say, and there's going to be four of these points. First is go. Sorry, I'm just on a roll now. I'll go for the it. First thing is you got to be, you got to go. The second thing is have an organized trip. The third thing is pray over that trip. Mm. And I mean, pray over it hard. Don't just go. Don't just get ready to go. Don't just pack your bags. Pack your spiritual quiver. Make sure that you have the arrows that you need in there, that the devil can, uh, cannot use anything against you because you've already looked at yourself and looked at your trip. You've prayed over it. That God can use you because you've laid yourself before him. You've laid every person that you're going to talk to before him. Pray over that trip. And, and the matter of fact, the international group that I was just now talking about, they pray over trip for two years. It's their Operation Andrew. It's how they get things ready. Mm. They pray for two years before they send us in there to maybe do the harvesting. They've got people set up to take on what we're going to be able to do. And I think that's extremely important. And I'd probably say that's it's hard to say any one of these is the most important, but that is critical and it's yeah. often overlooked. We, it's, it's, yeah, we pray. Of course we're going to pray over the trip, but I don't mean before you get on the bus to the airport that you all gather and hold hands and say, okay, Lord, let's use us. I mean, let's do some spiritual warfare. Let's, let's hit that sucker like a battering ram for a couple of years before you get there. And if I may, I'm going to, I'm going to use yeah. an example. In India, I was in India with a group and we were in, I don't think we knew it at the time, but it was, it was a high festival time for some of the Hindu gods and there are 300 million Hindu gods. And there's obviously some primary ones, but it, it, I thought that number when I first saw that number was like, you know, there's a whole <laughs> lot of, you know, 300 million. No, no, there's actually 300 million Hindu gods that they, that they try to deities, they try to recognize. And so we were at this one particular town that was the, the literally the epicenter of this particular festival. And there we are, a group of, of Americans, white Americans who are, who are sharing the gospel on the street, in homes, talking to people. But that trip had been prepared, it had been organized, and it had been prayed over. And in that time, and, and, and I'll tell you, it was really interesting. They literally put out in the paper at the time, this is a while back, they literally put out in the paper to not talk to the white Americans. So if anybody read that, they would know not to, to don't receive our literature, don't talk to us. Mm. And then they started, they had the police kind of trying to find us. They were going to arrest us. And we got word of that. And we were trying to just kind of keep moving over here and keep moving over here and keep moving over here. And for three days, we were, we were kind of on the move. And we realized that we got word that they were, they were en route to us, that we knew they were coming to get us. And so we had, we told, we left word that we were going to the airport and we went directly to the train station. And, and, and so we assumed that they went to the airport and we went to the train station and, and they, could, they couldn't find us when we got out of there. But in that three-day period of time, there were 12,000 decisions for Christ. Wow. 12,000 decisions for Christ. 3,000 were just from two people. On that, you know, that small group. Okay, so let's talk about that. That trip had been prayed over, prepared and prayed over. So we left and because we didn't know that we were going to have to leave. So we went to this other area that we'd, we'd kind of been to before and we were somewhat familiar with it. We knew that we could just kind of jump in and work out there. And so for the next six days, we were there and we were meeting with people, praying on the street with people. We were, you know, talking, meeting in people's homes and whatever. And, and the entire group as a whole, we saw 200 
people come to Christ. Mm. Now think about that. The, the section, the area of town that wasn't necessarily pra- prayed over, there wasn't spiritual warfare going after it for, for a couple of years, not area of town, that this different town, well away from this other town, 200 people. There, there, we weren't doing anything different. Everything was exactly the same. Same literature, same everything, 200 people. Yet the trip that had, the part of the trip that had been prayed over, that aspect of that trip, those people in that town, 12,000. And that is absolutely astounding. I mean, that is a testament to why we need to pray over these trips. And I would say the last thing that I think is important for short-term missions is make sure that you have people in play. Don't go and share the gospel, do a bunch of sowing of seed or harvesting or whatever, and not have someone there that can take on the the role of pastor or discipler Mm. and and be able to disciple those people, lead them, shepherd them, guide them, talk them through the the things. Because otherwise you're just throwing seed to the weeds and there's life is going to grow up. And yeah, they might, you know, believe and they might grow up, but the weeds are going to choke that out. They're never going to produce a harvest. And it's important for have someone there who can continually prepare the ground, continually weed around them, someone who can work with them. And I think that's critical because too many times we've got mission trips where someone goes and when they come home, they've left those people there. We shared the gospel. Great. Right. But you need a discipler. You need someone to shepherd them. And I think that's the last most important thing for a short-term mission trip is to have someone who's there in, in country, who's been trained even, uh, uh, taught a little bit, or maybe just has a, a passionate heart and they're a gifted uh, discipler or they're a gifted shepherd and let those people take on the, the role of shepherding or pastoring those people that you've just ministered to. That, that's really critical. And that's something that I hear from time to time. And I'm, I'm wondering, you, you obviously do a lot of ministry, but it's not your full-time gig right. and you don't it's, do it's not my money maker. Right. Yeah. I don't get paid to do this. <laughs> no. And, and that, and that's fine. But that means that you're also less likely to have contacts in a particular country. How do you make sure that when you go on a trip that you're going with a group that is partnering with local groups? Well, that's actually one of the things I look for in advance. I mean, it's going to be in their literature. It's going to be something. And if, if I don't see it in the literature, I'm going to talk to someone. I'm going to talk to one of the group organizers or the trip organizers. And I'm going to say, or even to, I've even talked to the president of the, what do we have in play in this, in this realm? Because I really honestly think, and this is, this is a, a harsh statement, but I really think it may be a waste of time. If you're going to take the time off of work, if you're going to take the time, maybe your own finances, maybe someone else's finances is, is funding this trip. You've you spent time organizing whatever. If you don't have someone there on the other end to shepherd them, to to kind of seal the deal. So many of these people are going to make a quote unquote, in an American term, decision for Christ. It just means they've they've leaned in. They they want to hear more. They they yes, they want to kind of reject what they have, but they're leaning, they're they're learning more about what you have. Mm-hmm. And in that time, they're going to need someone there to be able to kind of walk them through and, and, and seal that salvation, seal that faith, talk them about their faith and get their faith to a mature point of, yes, I'm a, I am a believed, I'm a, I'm a saved believer. And, and if you don't have someone in play like that, it, it just kind of either, either doesn't ever solidify or maybe they have accepted Christ, but they never grow and they can't share. And we really need that prepared soil that, that we cast the word upon that grows up and, and produces a, a harvest at 60, 100, 200 fold. That and any farmer will tell you that they don't ever scatter seed on on just ground and hope that it'll come up. Well, this happened to be good soil because look, there's stuff growing up here. No, no, no. You prepare the ground beforehand. There's the prayer warfare, and you tend to it during the growing season and during the harvest. And you absolutely have to have that, or else you will not produce the next harvest. And I think that's absolutely critical, actually. Yeah. And and I don't know that you know this, but I've actually had a couple of guests that are going to be part of this series that we talked specifically about how to build those long-term relationships and things like that. So I was really glad that you keyed in on that. Gosh, that sounds like a Holy Spirit thing. No Uh, kidding. It must be. I I mean, it's (laughs) it's hard to know. Now, you know, as I think about your travels, I think one of the things you mentioned was that not only have you seen transformations in your life and in the lives of people on the trips, but sometimes the people that are local begin to see the Holy Spirit move in a different way. And then that opens their eyes and their, their lives to more opportunities. Do I remember that correctly? In country? In country. Yeah. yeah as a matter of fact, I'll give you a great example. The first time that I went to this one area in India, actually, actually the, the, when we went to this trip, this area is when God was doing the healing ministry. I've been, okay, several, yeah. I've been quite a few times to India and only one time was there an outpouring of the manifest spirit of healing, you know, so I'm not gonna say it's all the time, but I'm just saying this trip, it was yeah. <laughs> people, people who were from Lifeway were also doing the same thing, which they had to become comfortable with. They weren't yeah. ready, necessarily ready for that. But on that one trip that we, we were seeing so much, there was so many people who were saved on that one trip with our group, there were 16,000 people who received Christ. And I don't mean made a decision for Christ. I mean, got saved. Yeah. 16,000. There were 3,000 just from my partner and I. And from that 
group. And because we had, and I can name, matter of, ironically enough, one of those pastors called me this morning and I wasn't able to accept the phone call because I was headed over here. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, he called, <laughs> yeah, and and, and he, I was headed over here, but he's a pastor. He stay, he's, he's there. He's, he's working with these folks. His name is Solomon. I'll, I'll mention Srinivasu. I'll, men- I'll mention Ravi. I'll mention, oh goodness gracious, Shalom is, is one of the great guys. There are so many people that, that I can tell you that, are, that we know became pastors actually because of these trips. Mm-hmm. And there were approximately 10 to 12 churches in that area. And about five to 10 years ago, I heard that were, there was approximately 100 churches in that, in that area. But don't say wow yet, because I just received word about a month ago that they are actually countable 1,000 churches in this region. Now, you tell me that that's not happening you know, because of the power of the Holy Spirit through right. some body, some warm body that went, that he was using to go. If a short-term mission trip had not happened, I'm not so certain that you'd have a thousand churches there right now. Now, God can use other things, but that's one of the, the fallacies that the church says, well, if you don't go, God will send somebody else. Really? Look around our world. Look around our culture. If, if people don't engage our culture, people don't change the world through the power of the Holy Spirit, do you think God's going to send someone else? Sometimes he does, but often he doesn't. That was your responsibility. And it's a fallacy to say, well, if, if I don't do that, then you know, God will use somebody else. Well, I hope he would, but the evidence around us is that he doesn't. He intended for you to use, and he intended for you, know, you to be the one that goes and talks to this person. You're the one to make the difference because it is the power of God through the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. We're going to do even the greater things than he did because he's gone now. He's not here anymore. We're in his place to take that, to, to do that. So if we don't go, we're not going to be able to see these transformations. And I think it's utterly critical that we, that we go. And I think it's utterly critical to have someone left behind so we can see these mm. 10, you know, 10 to 100, 100 to 1000 transformations. Wow. That that's incredible. And I think that the, you've been on, uh, what is it like 15 trips now? Is that right? Uh, yeah, maybe more than that. 15 or more. So we've, we've talked about India and I'm wondering, do you have maybe one or two other short-term trips that you've been on that really kind of stand out in your mind? Yeah, there's a, there's quite a few Ukraine. Yeah, sorry. There's quite a few that stand out <laughs> everywhere that I've, I've gone. I, I don't think I've honestly had a single trip, even from a kid. I took trips to new Orleans. I took trip, took trips to, you know, other places that, that I could say was not something that was not utterly significant. Uh, not just like, again, you know, we don't want to come home and say, you know, well, how was your field trip to Chicago? How right. was your field trip? No, no. What do you start asking people? And I'm telling this to the audience. When you know someone's been on a mission trip, especially if you funded someone to go on the mission trip, sit down with them, sit down with them at lunch or sit down there for five minutes and say, take five minutes and tell me what God did. Use those words. What did God do on your mission trip? You'll watch their eyes pop open. They'll be so excited if someone finally asked and they can talk to somebody who wants to know what did God do? And it is so important to be able to let them release one of those, those things that have happened, you know? And so when, when I come home, I want to be able to talk about these things, but I rarely, rarely have an opportunity to do that. So now I get a chance to do it and I'm yeah. you know, my mind's going crazy <laughs> because there's so many different things that have happened. But I would say another one was probably Ukraine and Ukraine is probably the antithesis to, to India because you have so many people, India is so dark. It's like the devil's playground. He doesn't expect you to kind of move in covertly and, and mess with his people. And you see crazy things and one little spark of light in a very, very dark place can have a great effect. And we see that in India. Well, the Orthodox church in Ukraine is, is kind of, it's sort of a, the political uh, oversight for even what, what's going on in, in today's Ukrainian world. And, and the, but, but, but in saying that, most of the people are not religious. Right. They maybe respect the church. They accept the church, but the church is kind of domineering. The church kind of sets we're we are the hierarchy. We are the voice of God. We are the important people. And they'll just tell you that there's no life in it. There's nothing. So you're going to a place where people already know about this, this Christian thing that you're talking about. They right. may not know Jesus. They may not have heard about Christ, but they know about the Christian thing. And the Russian or not the Russian, but the, the, the Orthodox church, sometimes it's Russian Orthodox, sometimes Orthodox is a church that is so pervasive in their lives, they don't want to have anything to do with it. And so when you're going in and you're talking, you're talking to people who have already rejected what you specifically have to say just because it's associated with that Christian thing. Right. And in the village that I went to, I was responsible for this one village. And I say responsible for, again, it's the trip that they just tell me, hey, this is what you're going to do. And I got over there and realized, hey, they said, hey, you're going to be responsible for this village by yourself. And I'm like, okay, and what does responsible mean? I'm like, tell me yeah. what my, what, what's going on here. And basically, I was by myself. I had a translator who, who, who understood English well, but couldn't speak English well. But he was a fairly good translator. And they put me with him. They set me with a pastor in a pastor's home. There was no running water anywhere. There was no toilets anywhere. It was all outhouses and, and so forth, which is not the first time I've encountered that, but it was just a very impoverished country. And I'm going into a place that's, that's really downtrodden. If you 
trying to get the idea that mm-hmm. it's, it's just very depressed. It's depressed spiritually. It's depressed economically. It's depressed emotionally. And you're going in there and you're, and you're trying to offer light. And it was really amazing because I would see when I would go into a home and talk to people, they'd always have a few of the people who were from the church there, from the Christian church, from, from our church. And you could always tell who they were because they were the ones who were leaning in, their eyes were glistening, and they, they had this look on their face. And you knew, they knew Jesus. And there'd be 30 people in a room, and I could pick out the six that were, that were believers, that one, that one, that one. Everybody else is like, talk to a stone wall, mm. you know. And you go and you start speaking, and I didn't realize that I would be responsible for preaching. And like I said, I'm the guy that you can just kind of throw anywhere. So I wasn't prepared to preach, but in, in, in I'm sorry, in, in Ukraine, they have maybe a couple of pastors have a little sermonette for five minutes, and maybe another guy will speak for 15 minutes. And maybe even another guy for 30 minutes. But then that primary guy, he'll speak from anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours. Wow. I was that guy. And I preached Sunday night, Monday night, or Saturday night, Monday, uh, Sunday night. Saturday, well, here we go. Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday morning. By Wednesday, I'd said everything in the Bible twice. That's what I felt like. You know, <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. But then God was doing some amazing thing. We were watching him penetrate these walls of stone, watching him penetrate these hearts of stone, watching him penetrate their minds. And, and as, as God was just using my personality, using the words that he had to say, using the words that were pent up, I couldn't take my Bible everywhere. It was cold. It was, it was dark. You know, it was just that time of year, and we're walking through the snow. And, and the fact that I was penetrating through the snow um, and, and, and making it to people's houses, they were kind of willing to listen and watching God change these people. And I, I don't remember how, what the numbers were. It wasn't 12,000. It wasn't 16,000. <laughs> it might've been 16, you know, right. but to them, and I, I'll never forget this. One of the, the main, I would say patriarchs of the Christian, the true Christ Christian church there in Ukraine, his wife, I was sitting across him in a sort of a celebration dinner. It's kind of the end of the trip sort of thing. And she was sitting across from me and she, they said, Hey, this is, this is Brian. And she said, oh, and her eyes got really excited. She says, Brian, we're hitting many great things. And she was very broken English. And I was struggling to understand her. And she looked over and, and uh, we, we had gone to the to mayor of the, of the village. We had gone to several of the, the Orthodox heads homes in this, in this village. We had gone to some places that were probably taboo for us to go, but we did it anyhow. And we saw people coming to Christ and so I wasn't really sure, but she was, uh, oh, there are many stories I am telling you. There is this, uh, uh, so, oh, and she looks over at her husband. I, 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 there, in this village, there is a, what, it is, uh, what, what is it? It's a revolution. There is a revolution. I thought, oh, gosh, what have we done? You know, here I go. <laughs> I probably spoke to the wrong person. I've ruined everything, you know. And, and he, he quiets her. No, 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 not the revolution. Revival. Uh, Revival. And I heard that, and it just, oh, it exploded my, my heart to just hear that, that the things, this very, very difficult trip for me physically, very, very difficult trip for me. I would say emotionally. I was very alone. I, there was nobody to talk to because the guy didn't really speak that good of English. I had to have another translator that came much later on to confirm to me he actually was preaching what I was preaching when I was speaking because I wasn't actually sure. He couldn't speak English because he'd be able to understand it. So it was a very difficult trip. And they watch, watch these stones melt to roses. Watch these stones suddenly become so hard and so coarse, and they're looking at you, and they don't want to have anything to do with you. And suddenly, they start leaning in. And I, I got—it's one of their cultures, but I, cultural things. But I, I got kissed on the mouth by more men with <laughs> sloppy beards than I have ever been. You know, that every, and I'd start trying to avoid it. You know, you'd see it coming. But but they, they became instead of hardened, they became so passionate. They were just—they wanted to hug you all the time. And they every time you saw them on the street, someone who just gotten saved would would run, scream, yell, yell your name, and, and run over and hug you and hug you and hug you. You know that the Holy Spirit is penetrating their lives. You know the Holy Spirit is ministering to them. And having someone behind to be able to keep that movement going and, and help them understand the little bits that I've told them, just little bits yeah. that brought them to Christ. They need to understand the Bible. They need someone to disciple them. But to watch that happen and then to hear her say, first revolution, which will scare me, and then revival, revival. And she was leaning forward. Revival in this village was just the best thing ever. And so... Again, if you don't go, you don't get a chance to see that. You don't get a chance to experience that. And it's so important for us to be able to go. And it may be 16 people that creates revival, yeah. but it's 16 people. And it's 16 people that weren't saved before. And we got to remember, this is not something that's temporal. This is not something that's here. It is an eternal thing. This is an internal investment. investment, And we need to spend the money. And again, if, you, if God is not... If God is not asking you specifically to go. And, and you're going to have listeners out there who are, their hearts are moved right now. They're, they're thinking about it. They want to go. There's somebody that's out there that's saying, you know, I, I've never even thought about this, but I really want to go. Find somebody that you trust and ask them where you might go. I can give you some examples. I will give you my phone number. You can call me. I will set you into place. I will put you in, in contact with people, but you need to go. And if you, God's not sending you to go, but he's quickening your heart, send someone. 
pray over them. The prayer warfare is so important on a daily basis. If you're, if you commit to praying for someone in country, then you pray for them every single day. Don't just pray for them once before the trip begins. You pray every single day over them. There's warfare going on. The devil hates this. And we need him to be not energized to jump in and try to stop these things, but he, we need him to be horrified because there's so much prayer warfare going on. There's so many angels coming in and just linking arms around us, dread warring angels coming in, linking arms around us. The Holy Spirit's so empowered that he's just horrified at what's going on. And in that case, God is glorified. The kingdom is multiplied and each person is edified, even the person who's sent. So if you can't go, send. And then when they get home, you sit down with them for five minutes or over lunch and you say, Tell me what God did. Because you want to know what's happening with your money. Mm -hmm. You want to know what's happening with your tithe, if it's your tithe. But you need to know. And you will be emboldened. And you may even be asked to go sometime. And you'll go, yeah, I want to be a part of that as well. Man, I I don't even know what to ask after that. (laughs) That's pretty much tying a bow on the whole thing. I I guess, you know, as I'm thinking about somebody who's listening to this, maybe, maybe there's somebody who's not quite sure if they should be going on a trip. If, if somebody came to you in that situation and said, you know what, I'm trying to hear from God, I'm trying to decide, what would you share with them about, about discerning whether this is the right thing for them to do right now? Well, one of the things that we don't talk, and often, talk often enough about in, in the church is, is timing. And if God is, if God is calling you to go or calling you to sin, he's calling you. And let me just make that clear. There is no doubt. And you don't have to ask me. There is no doubt. God is calling you. Not sure what he's calling you to do yet. Right. But he's calling you. He's always wanting you to be involved in his kingdom. He's always wanting, even here, he's wanting you to do something. He's wanting to be a part. He's waiting to move through you. And until you're moving, he can't go. And so how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the word of God? That's, that's scripture. We know that he, he uses us. You know, the vine and the branches. I use this as an example. I'm probably getting off here, but that's okay. No, you're fine. The, the vine and the branches. We say the vine, the trunk of the tree, that main portion of the tree. It says Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And, and it is impossible to do anything without him. But if we stay connected to him, that he will bear much fruit in us. And I, and, and I always use that, and we use that a lot of times in sermons and so forth, to say that the branch needs to stay connected to the vine, and therefore you'll be able to bear fruit. But I, have to, I want to see something. Have you ever seen a branchless tree bear fruit? It's impossible. The branches are required. And so we understand that that's how God is designing it for his kingdom to be expanded. That's how his kingdom is to be established here on earth is as it is in heaven is that he uses those people around him. We are the branches and he wants to bear fruit through us and he cannot do it if we don't go. So he's calling you to do something. Now, if he's calling you to go pray, expect the Holy Spirit. That's faith. Faith is expectation. It's, it's a confidence. He's going to answer you. Pray. Call out to him. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and I'll show you great and unsearchable things that you don't even know yet, that you not be able to see. And unsearchable does not mean you can't find it. Unsearchable means you can't even search for it. Maybe you don't know it's there. Maybe you don't know it exists. Maybe you just wouldn't know have any idea how to search for something like this. Call to me and I will answer you and I'll show you great and unsearchable things that you don't know. And so I, I would encourage people, pray over these things. Let God discern in your heart if you're to go. And also, if he tells you to go, if he tells you to go, it may not be now. Right. I would say it more commonly is now than later, but it is also, also commonly later, mm-hmm. maybe in a year, maybe in two years. Maybe you're supposed to send someone this year and then go the next year. But I would say just pray about it and see, and then seek counsel. There's people around you who've been. There's people around you who could tell you and help you decide maybe what type of trip, maybe what, what, where your personality would fit. There's different kinds. There's construction trips and there's harvesting trips and there's evangelism trips. And I've been on them all. So it's, you know, it's important to recognize it doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter what your age is. And some of these Belize trips, the Rick and Judy Barnett trips, they'd have more than half the folks would be, would be teenagers. Okay. And those teenagers would be more effective than the adults would be in harvesting and going and talking. They may not even be, you know, extroverts. They might be an introvert. They may be an, an extrovert, but not really gifted at talking, but you'll watch them harvest. You'll watch them bring people to the Lord. So the God's going to use you. He wants to use you. He designed it to where he would use you. He required it to where he must use you in order to bear fruit and, and to expand his kingdom. So I would say to pray over it. Talk to people who've gone, talk to somebody who's, who's been, call you, call me, but consider the fact that God's already called you to do something. You may just need a little help in figuring out what it is. Pray about it. Now let's, let's talk about fear. Cause a lot of times I think there's fear about finances, fear about giving up time from work, fear about different cultures, things like that. But scripture tells us that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So if somebody was talking to you and they're going, I really think that God wants me to go on this trip, but I'm afraid about this thing. Is there a way that you would talk to them and help them work through that? I just did. <laughs> I want them to understand that God wants to use them. I want them to understand that, that there is no fear in Christ. I mean, he eliminates it. That love, love drives that perfect love drives out all fear. We have not been given a spirit of timidity, 
So don't even be timid. Don't just not be fearful. Don't be timid. He, he wants us to go forward and, and search him out. Faith is the opposite of fear. Fear and, and doubt are the opposite of what faith is. And in order to see the, the power of God, you need to have faith. In other words, trust him. Do you trust God? Do you believe what scripture says? Read it. If you don't believe it, then you, you, you're going to be really, really stifled of what God can do for you. But there's a, there is a demonic spirit of fear that once someone opens a door to fear, they've opened the door to demonic attack and where mm. he'll, he'll stifle them and, and, and just overwhelm their thinking, their emotions, their mind, and, and have all kinds of anxiety. No, 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 no. I break that off right now in the name of Jesus. Over every listener right now, I break off that spirit of fear. And I want you to say it after me. I break off a spirit of fear. I do not walk in fear. I walk in the power of God. I walk in trust in him. And I would say, don't, don't have fear by doing that. That's the first step is just to, to, to actively speak out against your fear. Spear is not of God. Excuse me. Fear is not of God. The spirit of God is a, a spirit that is of love. It's of intentionality. It's of power. It, it's so exciting to see what God says. And once you go on a trip, it will alleviate all fear. Now I have, I've been dropped off in the middle of literally in the middle of nowhere in, in, in some very, very rough places in this world. And had to just begin speaking. Hi, I'm an American, if you can't tell already, and I'm going to talk to you about Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's sort of like that. It's not yeah. exactly like that. I'm just going to be facetious. But, but you're talking about a little bit of anxiety going up, but you have to meet. I said, no, I break off that. God put me here. He actually designed this trip for me to come and be literally dropped off here in the middle of this place. I'll give you a great example in, in a place I can mention, actually, India. But okay. we, were in an, we were in an area of India that was very, very dark. It was There was a lot of shrines, and I actually stepped out of a vehicle and stood right in front of a shrine. I didn't even realize it was behind me and began speaking and offended some folks. And when we were going into this area, my Srinivasu, the translator and pastor that I was with, he says, now this is a very, very dangerous area. And I said, okay. And he says, but no problem for you. Cause I'm a, kind of a big guy, as you can tell. And I, yeah. you know, I kind of have that personality and I've, you know, I've, I've been through some things. So I, that doesn't bother me at all. He says, very dangerous place. No problem for you. And I said, okay, what kind of dangers? He said, okay, water buffalo. I said, oh, okay, yeah, water buffalo. We've got to be careful of that. And a tiger, tiger to this area. Okay, tiger, yeah, yeah. He says, and um, what does the, the men with the, um, with the and I said, machine guns? He goes, yes, 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 the machine guns. There's a men with the machine guns. They do not like uh, white men, uh, Christian, uh, things like this. But no problem for you. I'm thinking, yeah, no problem for me. I'm, I'm fitting every bill here, you know. So we were going to this, this area, and the first part of this area, we, we literally were climbing up a river. We're going against the current in a river to stay off the road so we could get, penetrate this area and get in there without being hit by the bandits. And I didn't know what a bandit was. I thought it was some, some kind of a tiger. I don't know, a bandit tiger. What is it? No, I finally figured it out. It's bandits. Yeah. But I couldn't understand them. It was bandits. But this area is really, really rough. And so we're literally going up this river to, to get in this area that was dangerous for us. And to see what God did when we reached that, that place and to watch the number of people who accepted Christ is absolutely amazing. Later on in that same area, I was let out. And I have a picture of this, by the way. <laughs> I was let out into about 40 men. I'm not sure what the men were doing there. Maybe they were prepared for us to come. I'm not sure. But my, we, had a, we had a driver. We had a person who was familiar with the area. And then there was Srinivasu and myself. And Srinivasu was just a powerful young man. Young man, but a powerful young man. And he's, he looks at me and says, preach. Okay, preach. Just start, begin. I'm like... So hello there, you know, kind of a thing. And, and in India, it's, it's great because uh, about a maybe a quarter to a third of the people maybe understand English. So you're, you're, then you have a translator for the rest of them. But I was sitting there speaking to these men, and they were kind of leaning in. And there were several of them who were just kind of frustrated. And I realized I was in front of, a, front of a shrine, and I was offending them. So I tried to move off from that shrine area and just kind of continue talking. And, and they followed me. But I looked over, and I could see this kind of commotion with people. They're kind of not paying attention to me. They're kind of looking at each other and, and kind of bustling. And I thought, what in the world's going on? And I look over at Srinivasu, and he's, his eyes are glued to the jungle line, the tree line area over mm. there. And about 15 men came out of that jungle line with sticks and spears. And their intention was to kill us. And they were making headway towards us and the talking about fear, none present. And the Holy Spirit said, I have a purpose for this. And I said, I'm going to trust you. And so I turned and began walking towards them, speaking louder so they could hear me as they approached. The, the most amazing thing to me was Srinivasu, who knew exactly what was, I, I wasn't even sure. But by the way, I'll just be, be honest with you. I didn't know that that's what was happening. I heard, I found out later that was what their intention were. And I'll tell you how I found that out. But I found out that's what their intention was, but I knew there was something up and I knew they didn't, didn't like us. And I knew there was something going on because everybody was starting to back up and our, our, our driver actually got in his car and drove off. Okay. He was afraid enough that he just left, you know, left us sitting there. And so Srinivasu 
was amazing because he knew exactly what was happening, but he turned with me on my shoulder. And as I spoke louder, he spoke louder. And the more intense I got, the more intense he got. And they may or may not have understood me, but they knew they understood him. Mm. And he walks forward towards these men with these spears that they've got raised up. They're fixing to come, come at us. And just, just speaking the word of God and speaking intently, they stopped. And they were like, this guy's coming at us. Wait a minute. There's a problem here. Why is he walking towards us? You know, and they stopped to listen. And then they kind of let, set their spears down and continued to listen. And at that point, I just kind of turned back and started speaking to the kind of the crowd again and turned back and talked to them a little bit and then kind of backed up and gathered them all into this one conversation. So I wasn't turning back and forth. And it was amazing because I have a picture of seven of those guys praying to receive Christ mm. with their spears still in their hand, resting on the ground. And that is amazing to me. I have that picture. Yeah. I don't know who took that picture because I thought the camera was on my neck. And I'm not sure how I got onto my camera, to be honest with you, the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. But obviously, I may have had the camera sitting down there or, or, or somewhere. But, but someone picked my camera up, had to have, and took a picture of that. And I have a picture of those guys. And that's how we found out. They were coming out of the wood line to kill us. They were very offended. They didn't, you know, we're in this area that's already dangerous. They don't like me because I'm an American. They don't like me because I'm white. They don't like me because I'm Christian. And they don't like me because I'm standing in front of a shrine preaching about some other God. Yeah. And they're going to do something about that. No fear. Trust Lord. God doesn't give us safety. He gives us security. And there's a very, very fine line. And, and it's, but it's a vast difference. He doesn't tell us that everything's always going to be good. My mom's praying for me all the time and you know, something will happen to me. I'll get cut. I'll do something else. Something will happen on a mission trip. Yeah. But I was praying. I said, but mom, I made it out of there. So like, <laughs> but no, I want it to work my way where there's nothing that happens at all. You know, where you don't get cut, but you know, Hey, I almost cut my leg off, but I didn't, you know, yeah. I, I almost got stabbed, but I didn't. She's like, no, no, but I, he doesn't he doesn't promise us safety. He promised us security. Nothing that ever happens to me, all things that happen to me, because I'm called according to his spirit and I love him. Everything that happens to me is good. It is good for me and it is good for him. If I die, win-win. I'm going to heaven. You know, it's not, it's not, and I, I, I'm okay with that. My wife, you know, she's always like, how do you do that? You know, no, it's, it, I know where I'm going and I know what's going to go on. And, and everything that I do here on earth is, a, and is, a, is an attempt to bring everybody as many as I can with me. That's the only reason I'm here. You know, God didn't say, okay, he's saved. Beam him up, Scotty. You know, we're, we're here. We're, here. we're supposed to be now the body of Christ making those things happen. It just so happens that that's the ways that God uses me in those kind of situations. He's not going to call most people, the vast majority of people, to that kind of situation. But I've kind of got the personality and maybe the physical physique to, to be able to, to, to work in that, or he can use me in that. And I don't... I don't trust in my own confidence uh, of myself. I, I trust in the, my, the faith of the Lord in the faith of what he's going to do. I don't care if I got killed. Maybe some people get saved after I die, but it was, his purpose was for me to die. I don't know, but it wasn't. And I'm telling you, a fear just absolutely has no play in what God's doing. And I'll again tell you that it is a spirit of fear that's going to keep you from going on a mission trip because he absolutely does not want you to go. And number one, for you to experience what God's doing. And number two, for anyone else to experience what God's doing. So go. Buck that spirit of fear. Just, just ignore it completely. Defy it. Just cancel it out by the power of the Spirit. Speak against it. Condemn it in the name of Jesus. And you go on a mission trip. And I promise you, you'll see things that, that just you will never be able to talk about. Wow. Good stuff. So I think we're just going to, we're going to end it right there. Cause I think that's the end of this, Brian. Wait, wait I have another four hours. Yeah, another I can keep four going. Hours. six hours. Wait, 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 what are we, what are we ending for? Yeah, yeah. no, th Brian, this has I been, can appreciate th that. Yeah. this has been great. Incredibly encouraging for me just to sit here and listen to you share. I just so appreciate that. So thanks for making the time to do this. It is absolutely my pleasure. I appreciate you even calling me in to do this and talk about it. Cause I need to be able to speak these things. I need to be able to share these things. These are things that are wrapped up in my heart and they're uh, passions that I just don't get to talk about very much. And uh, I'm not giving the opportunity, not that I can't, it's not that we're in, in some country that doesn't allow us to, it's just, we don't have many opportunities. We're never called to the, to the pulpit. We're never, you know, called to a Sunday school class even, or if people just don't want to, to hear these things. I think we have a, a different image of, of a missionary coming to talk about their, their thing. And, and so giving me the opportunity to, to just speak about it has been great. I really appreciate it, Brian. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. Through different trips we have, and, and I go on a lot of short-term trips for different reasons, and I always think uh, I'm going there and I'm going to, I've got a mission, I've got an assignment, and a lot of times I come back and I'm like, I'm a better person. Most of the time when we take someone on a trip, I know they're going to help, they're going to paint something, they're going to make a kid smile, but I know that their character is going to change, there's something in their heart. I think the biggest thing that happens is you become a stronger Christian and, you know, and a more impactful Christian from doing these trips. And, and there's some great things that happen. You build churches, you, you help orphans. And a lot of times one of the biggest impacts from a short-term trip is 
you see that there's good fruitful ministry and you come back and you decide to start supporting monthly or you get, you start to advocate that a lot of it. I feel like the, the, the biggest things that happen start when you get back on U.S. soil rather than maybe that week of BBS. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much for sticking around to the end. It was absolutely wonderful to have you. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Brian Buckaloo. You're going to want to check those out because it's a great way to connect with the resources that we talked about to find quotes and things like that. It's it's absolutely wonderful to have you stop by there. And also, if you want to subscribe this to the show and you already haven't, you can actually do that right from the show notes page. Don't forget about our fundraiser for Global Initiative. You can find more information about that at engagingmissions.com slash fund16. Make sure that you come back next week. We're going to be hearing from Kyle Philippi about building relationships over time, producing videos, and booking travel. This will be the second in our series on short-term missions. If you want to make sure that you don't miss that, Make sure that you subscribe to the show so that you can have it delivered right to your favorite podcast player. You can do that by visiting the show notes page at engagingmissions.com slash Brian Buckaloo or visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. And if you enjoyed this show, please help us spread the word. You can do that by sending an email or talking to somebody about that or perhaps sharing it on social media. Maybe leave, maybe leave us a rating and review in iTunes. That helps people find the show and know whether or not it's the right fit for them. We'd really appreciate it if you do that. Your help getting the word out might help connect somebody who needs resources, encouragement to be challenged, to receive what they need from God. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.